If you are like most congregations, and we are like most congregations, you probably have varying views of and attitudes toward and practices on this day that we call Sunday or the Lord's Day, ever since Jesus rose from the tomb on a Sunday. Perhaps you grew up with Sundays so laden with rules and regulations that it became an oppressive day that you dreaded instead of a day that you enjoyed. That's understandable. Lawmakers in one of the New England colonies wrote and published, listen to this, 39 pages of regulations, all in fine print of what was allowed and what was not allowed on Sundays. And so in an attempt to escape that kind of legalism, you see it just as another day outside of the hour or so you might commit to worship, and that day belongs to you. Then there are probably rebels here. All of us are just a little bit rebellious deep inside, are we not? And we, we believe ourselves to be the masters of our own time, and we don't want to be told what to do with our time. We don't want to be told what we need to be refreshed because we believe we know what we need most to be refreshed, to relax. Others say that the Sabbath day, it's from the Old Testament, and we are free in Christ. L- listen to what Martin Luther said. If Sunday were anywhere made holy merely for the day's sake, or its observance set on a Jewish foundation, then, he said, I order you to walk on it, ride on it, dance on it, feast on it, do anything that shall remove this encroachment on Christian liberty. In order to decry observing the Sabbath, people quote Jesus when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, but somehow they missed the point (laughs) that the Sabbath was made and it was given to man as a gift for physical and spiritual refreshment. When we refuse this good gift of God, when you and I don't take this day of rest to be refreshed in him, then our souls, they become dry and depleted, wrinkled, withered. And then we wonder, we wonder why the Lord, in whom we have not taken our rest or refreshment, why does he seem distant from us? Why does he seem far from us? Why does he not seem very real? God intends to bless us on this day when we give it to him. He intends this day to be a delight to us and not a duty. So having said that, let's get back to this passage. As you heard in the verses that were read, for five days, God works. And he creates everything that is, and of course, he pronounces it all good. Of course, it's good. God created it. He is a good God. On the sixth day, he continues this creative work. And he creates man and woman in his own image. And then Genesis 2 tells us, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
So God says, it is finished, and then he rested. That was God's cycle, to finish his work, then to rest. But watch how he changes that cycle for Adam and Eve. We're so familiar with this story that it no longer takes us by surprise how other things are ordered than the way that we normally order them. Like God, our normal cycle is to work and then rest, finish, then relax. And so it should really jar us and get our attention when God does things other than we expect, other than he exampled himself. And that's what he did. That's what God did with the Sabbath day so that we might take special notice of it. Adam and Eve's first order of business on the first day of existence was not to work and then rest, but to rest first. Look, God created them on the sixth day and on the seventh day, he said, rest. From what? They hadn't done anything yet. Think about what God is communicating to Adam and Eve as they begin life in this world that would have been forever their world had they not disobeyed God. With the seventh day, it's as if God is saying, your first priority in life is to find rest, refreshment, joy, satisfaction, not in the work of your own hand, not in anything you have done, but instead in the presence of the Lord and the work of his hands and what the Lord has done for you. That's what God has designed. That's what God has placed as a first priority from the, cre- from the time of creation, rest for his people in his presence. That's the way it's supposed to be. Rest for God's people in God's presence. The seventh day is God's gift to us. Long before there was ever a Jew, long before there was ever a nation of Israel, long before there were ever 10 commandments written, there was, by God's design, a day of rest. And from the beginning, from the very first one, God called this day holy. God called this day blessed. God intends a holiness, a blessedness to this day. But you know the story. Satan was also in the garden. And if you've been here at Redeemer very long, you can finish this sentence. And I invite you to do so. Whatever God ordains, Satan, whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. And so if God, the lover of our souls, ordains what our souls need first and most is to rest in his presence and be refreshed by his spirit, then Satan, the enemy of our souls, the hater of our souls, will try to prevent us from taking that rest. Most cunningly, by convincing us that we don't need that rest or that we could come up with a better rest for ourselves. And so he tempted 
Adam and Eve. He tempted them to trade the rest God had given them for their own rest, to be dissatisfied what God had finished for them and given to them as a gift in favor of what they could do for themselves. If only they could be like God. And that's what Satan promised, is it not? Eat and become like God. What could they do then? How would they order things? It was too tempting not to find out. And so they yielded to the temptation. They disobeyed God. They ate from the tree of which God told them they should never eat. And sin entered the world. And the perfect rest with God vanished. And listen to what replaced that rest. God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, your sin. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That doesn't sound much like rest to me. To Eve he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. That doesn't sound like rest to me. In fact, how do we refer to childbearing? It's labor. And then God said to her, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That doesn't sound like rest. That sounds like strife. Scripture is silent as to the number of Sabbath days that Adam and Eve Enjoyed, enjoyed with God and in God before they sinned. But without doubt, they must have looked forward to that day, not as a mandatory obligation, but as a gift for which they longed. Even though they were sinless and their bodies were not yet weary in the way our bodies get, they didn't need to be compelled or coerced to be with God on this special day, in this special way. Every seventh day after that first sin must have reminded this thorn-torn, sweat-smeared, work-weary couple of the perfect rest they had lost with God. And it must have filled them with longing to have it again. And so the seventh day became a day to experience the rest their bodies now physically needed. And it became a day to reflect in hopeful expectation on the promise that God made. When he spoke to Satan, the one who had brought such destruction, God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What a soul-restoring, soul-refreshing, hope-giving promise. God says, one is coming, one is coming, one is coming. And they had an entire day to turn away from the distractions of work and the distortions of that now marked their world and rest in the promise that God had made.
for you and for me, we get to rest in the promise that God fulfilled in Christ. In this day of recreation, rest. Because in the cross of Christ, we see the full expression of God's desire that his people experience rest in his presence. On the cross, God's promise was fulfilled. Christ was indeed struck there, stricken, smitten, afflicted as he hung on the cross. But Satan and sin and death were forever defeated. Is that good news? Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. And listen, the word he uses for finished, it's the same word used to translate the Hebrew word of Genesis 2-2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Jesus on the cross is proclaiming a new Sabbath. Jesus uses just one word in Greek for it is finished. And you know this well, we've talked about it often. It's tetelestai. And that word was not exclusive to the cross. It was used commonly in Jesus' day. A household servant would say to his master, tetelestai, my chore is finished. In the marketplace, the merchant would take money for a purchase and in return give a receipt with tetelestai written on it, meaning the price has been fully paid. In the studio, after the artist had made his final brush stroke and was satisfied that the picture was complete, he would stand back and look at the picture and say, tetelestai, it is finished. It's complete. In the temple, the Jewish people would bring their animals to sacrifice. And after the high priest had examined their sacrifice being offered, he would say, tetelestai, meaning it's perfect, it's accepted. Now put all of these common usages together and you begin to have an understanding of what Jesus meant when from the cross he said, tetelestai, like the servant, the task he was given by his father, complete. Like the receipt in the marketplace, his work on the cross stamped paid in full across the debt of our many sins. Like the sacrifice in the temple, his sacrifice of his body on the cross, perfect, accepted, and like the artist, Jesus' work on the cross is the final brushstroke <laughs> that completes the picture of our salvation. In other words, everything that could be done has been done by Christ. Nothing else, nothing else could be added to his work that he did on the cross. And so he said it is finished. And so if there are those of you here this morning who are bent on work righteousness, if you're bent on proving to God how good you are and how much you deserve his love. If you think that there's something you can add to the finished work on, of Christ on the cross, hear this word afresh and anew. Tetelestai, it is finished. Christ has done it 
all. Is that good news? And what happened over at the temple when Jesus spoke those words? The curtain that separated people from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom, top to bottom. It was a visual amen spoken by God the Father when Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The way to rest with God in the presence of God for the people of God was opened. And so Jesus says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? What? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. When we come in faith to Christ, in that moment, we are recreated. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is God's promise to us. Recreated. And like the creation at the beginning of time, it is good. It is good because God did it and God is good. It's good because it is completed in Christ. You are God's good recreation. And what did Adam and Eve do when they were newly created? In placing God's good creation, they rested. And so it is for us. Rest refreshment in that recreation, an entire day, an entire day to reflect on the faithfulness and the goodness of God to keep his promises, an entire day where we can say to the hectic, clamoring world, shh, be still. On this day, I must know that he is God and he is good just like he said at the time of creation. I must take this day to dwell on the goodness that God has done to me and in me through Christ. Charles Spurgeon preached this. Do not tell me there is no rest for us till we get to heaven. We who have believed in Jesus enter into that rest even now. Why should we not do so? Our salvation is complete. The robe of righteousness in which we are clad is finished. The atonement for our sin is fully made. We are reconciled to God, beloved of the Father, preserved by his grace and supplied by his providence with all that we need. We carry all our burdens to him and leave them at his feet. We spend our lives in his service and we find his ways to be the ways of pleasantness, and his paths to be paths of peace. Oh yes, we have found rest unto our souls. If you're here this morning and you have never turned in faith to Christ, if you are unfamiliar with this rest of which I speak, you can find it right now. Christ has done it all. It is finished. In faith, you believe that. What Christ has done for you, the recreation that you can be 
in him. So place your faith in Christ. Place your faith in his finished work on the cross. Most of you here this morning, you've already done that. You're already trusting in Christ. What a gift God has given to us by giving us a day to reflect on all that he has done as if a day would be enough, but he's given it to us every seven days to reflect, to be refreshed, renewed, restored, to put vitality back in our bones. A day to trust in the work that he has done for you and me more than we trust in the work that we do for ourselves. All of us need the blessing that comes from resting in Christ. Do you need it? Don't you feel you need that rest? We need it every day, yes. But especially by God's creation design, a day set aside for thinking about the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God in the work of Jesus Christ applied to us through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It isn't a day to be legislated. It isn't a day of cannots. It's a day of get-tos. It is a blessed day. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Let's pray. Father, what a tremendous gift you have given to us. Soften our hearts now, we pray, so that we receive this gift from you with joy. Father, even in this moment, as I pray, pray that you would release our hearts and minds from workarounds, from ways that we can preserve this day for ourselves, for what we want to do in this day, instead of making it a day to reflect on you and all that you have done for us and to receive from you the rest and refreshment you promise. Lord, make us bold. Help us to know We can do this thing. We can receive this gift from you. Help us to do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.